Welcome to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Be Set Free features the teaching ministry of Pastor Nick Cady. Pastor Nick's desire is to bring the gospel into our lives so we can experience the joy and freedom that can only be found through Jesus. Today's message comes from the series, Jonah, God's Mission in the World. Here's Pastor Nick. I did it. Now you can leave me alone. I did what you asked me to do, right? I did all this stuff outwardly. Great. Well, no, not great. And what's the problem? The problem is, it's the focus of the book, the problem is Jonah's heart. What's going on inside and in his mind? His heart is full of hatred towards the Ninevites, and it's full of anger towards God. And so with God, it's not just about what you do or don't do. It's also, it also matters what's going on inside your heart and inside your mind. Jonah is a perfect example of someone who has good theology but a bad heart. Jonah is a perfect example of how it's possible to have good theology but a bad heart. Because here's the thing about Jonah. He knows who God is. He just doesn't like him. So he knows who God, in fact, this is very interesting. In verse 2 of Jonah chapter 4, what does Jonah say? He says, see God, I knew this would happen. I knew it. That's why I ran off to Tarshish in the first place. Because I knew that you are a gracious God and that you are merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Do you know that that is a direct quotation? from a, a section that we actually studied just a, a few months ago here at Whitefields when we studied Exodus. Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. That's a direct quote, okay? So in other words, here's what that means. It means that Jonah knew that verse. Not only did he know that verse, like I think God's kind of merciful or something, he knew it by memory. He knew it word by word. He knew the whole thing. He had it memorized. In other words, he knew the character of God. He just didn't like it. In other words, he really liked it when God was that way towards him. Right? When God was gracious and merciful towards him. Throughout this story, we've seen exactly that. Jonah had a bad heart. Jonah did bad things. And yet God didn't give up on him. God loved him and pursued him and is still loving him and pursuing him. And that's a big theme of Jonah, by the way. That we run from God. We have bad hearts. But God comes after us. He loves us. He persists with us. You see, Jonah liked it when God was gracious to him. But when it came to other people, Jonah didn't want God to be gracious. Jonah wanted God to bring judgment. I think that's how a lot of us are, right? We tend to say, grace for me, judgment for you. Grace for me, judgment for you. When we sin, we have all kinds of empathy for ourselves. We say, well, we understand the extenuating circumstances that led to this action or this thought, right? We have a lot of understanding of these extenuating circumstances. We have tons of empathy. But when it comes to other people, we're very quick to want to get out the hammer of justice and pound on them. And that's the situation here with Jonah. Jonah says, these people deserve judgment. God, what you're doing here is just wrong. He says, I'm angry. In fact, I'm so angry, I wish I would just die. And God says to Jonah in verse 4, he says, okay, Jonah, you're angry, right? Okay, but here's the question. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? I understand you are angry, but this brings us back to our original statement. Being angry with God is never right, but if you are angry with God, it's never right not to tell him so. See, I don't think that the Bible encourages us to be fake. I don't think it encourages us to suppress our feelings and just put on a happy face and pretend that everything is great when it's not. Here's the thing. God knows everything about you. You can't hide anything from him. So we should be honest about our feelings and we should own up to them. 
But we should never assume that just because we feel a certain way, that those feelings are okay, that they're justified in every situation. God asked Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry at me? And the answer is obviously no. No, it's not right for Jonah to be angry at God. It's not right really for any of us to be angry at God. And here's why. Here's why. Because God has never done anything wicked or evil against you. Do you know that? That God has never done anything wicked or evil against you. Now, sometimes we don't see the whole picture. Sometimes we don't understand why God did something or why God allowed something to happen. But at the end of the day, the fact is that God sees the big picture and he is His word tells us he is working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So what that comes down to is this. We should be honest about our feelings, but sometimes it's necessary for us to repent of some of those feelings. You might say, well, how can I change the way I feel? I mean, here's the thing. It's just how I feel. It may not be right. It may not be good, but it's how I feel. I can't just turn it on and off like a light switch. Or maybe you say, look, I know it's wrong to be angry at God, but I am. What, what, what do I do about it? I can't just turn it off. Or I know it's wrong, but I just hate that person. That's just how it is, right? Like, or I'm totally envious of that person. I realize it's not right, but they have everything that I wish I had. And this is just how I feel. I'm envious. What am I supposed to do about it? You can't just turn on and off your emotions and feelings like a light switch, right? It's kind of like if you've ever been sad, right? And you had that very helpful person who comes up to you and says, hey, you're sad. Yeah, you should stop being sad. And you're like, oh, oh well, thanks. Thanks uh, for fixing that problem for me. Problem solved, right? I'll just uh, stop being sad now. And uh, you know, I'm, it's not how it works. Right, somebody says, hey, I can see you're very anxious. You should stop being anxious. Well, okay, I'll just stop right now. I'll just stop being anxious. That's just not how it works. How does it work then? See, here's how it works. The way to change how you feel about something is by giving you something that changes the way you think about that thing or situation. I'll say it again because this is important. It says that the, the only way to change the way that you feel about something is if we can give you something that changes the way you think about that thing or that situation because as the way you think about that thing or situation changes, over time, the effect will be that it will also affect the way that you feel about that thing. It's one of the reasons why we place such a big emphasis on teaching the Bible and studying the Bible here at Whitefields because, see, we want to bring our thinking into alignment with what God says is right and good and true. And so, why? So that our hearts will be filled with the right feelings as a result, right? Not, I mean, that's not the only goal, but that is the effect. In other words, you can't change your heart, but you can change your mind. You can't change your heart, but you can change your mind, You can't always choose how you will feel, but you can choose how you will think. If you will change your mind, if you will bring your thinking into alignment with what God says is true, right, and good, then God will change your heart and your feelings will follow. So again, being angry with God is never right, but if you are angry at God, it's never right not to tell him so. You wouldn't want to add hypocrisy on top of already being angry at God. So here's the deal. Be honest. Confess how you feel. Say, God, I realize that, that uh, I'm, the way I'm feeling right now, it's not right. It's not good. The way I'm thinking about this situation is not right. It's out of alignment with you. So help me bring my thinking into alignment with your word and please change my heart. Jonah is angry about something that God is happy about. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes, on the other hand, there are things that make God angry 
but they don't bother us at all. Let me ask you this. What are the things that make you angry? What are the things that keep you angry? What are the things that cause you to despair like Jonah where you say, I don't even want to live anymore. Take note of those things because those things, the things that make you angry, the things that cause you deep despair, they reveal a lot about what's going on in your heart. They reveal a lot about the things that you have made the main thing in your life, the idols that you worship other than God. And where your heart is out of alignment with God, take note of that and bring it before the Lord and say, Lord, I need to bring my thinking into alignment with yours and I need you to change my heart. Let's talk about the next thing we see in this section and that is what makes cities beautiful? What makes cities beautiful? Jonah goes out east of town. He goes up on a hill overlooking the city in the hope that God will change his mind and destroy Nineveh. And God decides to use this opportunity where he's got Jonah pulled aside from everybody else to give Jonah a little object lesson about compassion and about grace. It says in verse six, God caused this plant to grow up overnight over Jonah and give him shade on his head and save him from discomfort. There is actually a kind of vine in that part of the world which grows up very quickly like that, leafy and green, and it gives shade. And for the first time in the entire book, Jonah is happy. Notice that. This is the very first time. I mean, he's never been happy until now. He's happy, finally. Now he can watch the Ninevites die a violent death in comfort. That's what he's happy about. And then the very next day, God appointed a worm to come and attack the plant so that it died. See, God is gracious, loving, merciful, and kind of funny. So he does that. Now, why does he do that? Well, let's follow on. We're going to see. Hey, Pastor Nick here. Are you looking for a resource to help you answer some of the most difficult questions about God in the Bible? Then we've got good news for you. I've written a book called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. In this book, I deal directly with some of the biggest questions people struggle with, such as how a loving God can allow innocent people to suffer, or whether God condoned genocide in the Old Testament, or whether the Bible encourages the suppression of women and minorities? Does the Bible really say that some kinds of love are wrong? And is there actual proof that God exists and that the Bible is trustworthy? I address these topics and more in this book, which is a great resource for anyone who wrestles with doubts or who has concerns about these topics. And it's a great resource for those who want to help others who have questions about these topics. So to purchase this book, search for The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity, wherever books are sold, or visit nickkady.org. And to celebrate the release of this book, we are offering a free copy of the book as a gift to any of our listeners who make a donation of any amount to support Be Set Free Radio at besetfreeradio.com. And now back to today's message. And Jonah says, oh, my plant's gone. You remember I told you a few weeks ago that the key to understanding the book of Jonah is irony. Well, there's actually some irony here that may not pop out right, right immediately. The irony here is this. In Hebrew, the word for anger means to become hot. We, we use that. We talk about being hot-headed. And so God says, okay, Jonah, you want to be hot in your head? I'll make you hot in your head. And he takes away this plant after he gives it to him for one day. And Jonah says, God, that's it. Just please kill me. I hate my life. I just wish I could die. And God says once again, Jonah, are you right to be angry? I mean, I see that you're angry, but are you right to be angry about this? And Jonah says, yes, I am right to be angry about that. 
And now, now here's the deal. This was all a setup. Like Jonah totally took the bait and now God's about to set the hook. And here's what he says in verse 10. Jonah, you pity this plant for which you did not labor, nor did you cause it to grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. Now you tell me, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also so much cattle? What about the cows, Jonah? What about the cows? God is contrasting Jonah with himself and the plant with the city. He's contrasting Jonah with himself and the plant with the city. Think about the logic here. It's very emotional logic. He's saying, Jonah, you pity this plant. Now that word pity means he has compassion. He has concern. He has affection for a plant. God says, I, on the other hand, I, I have pity. I have compassion. I have concern. I have affection for Nineveh, that great city. Why? Because there are 120,000 people in that city who don't know their right hand from their left. Now, there's some uh, debate over what that means, that, that number and, and what that phrase means. So some Bible scholars take it just kind of straight up and they say, that must be the population of the city of Nineveh, 120,000 people, which by the way, in the ancient world where most people lived rural areas, uh, 120,000 people in a city, that was a mega city. That was a huge city in the ancient world. And these people, the right hand and left hand thing, he's saying they're spiritually confused. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. They don't know which way to turn. Now, other scholars, and, and I tend to agree with this second interpretation, they believe that this 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left actually refers to just the number of children in the city of Nineveh. Because if you ask a small child, you know, hey, which hand's your right hand and the left hand? They're like, I don't know, you know? And so uh, if that is the case, which it, it might be or it might be the other way, but if it is the case, that would actually put the population of the city of Nineveh somewhere around five or 600,000, which would mean that it would be the largest city in the ancient world, which is what many scholars believe apart from this text. They believe that Nineveh was the largest city in the world at that time. It also makes sense because in chapter 3 last week, we read that Nineveh was so large that it would take three days to walk from one end of it to the other. Now, uh, I realize people are probably a little bit more spread out, but if I was to walk from one end of Longmont to the other, 90,000 people, I could probably do that in a day. So I think that it was the latter one. Also, three times God re re uh, refers to Nineveh as that great city. Now, that word great, it means either large in size or it means important and significant. And I personally think it means both. It means that it was a big city and it was a significant, important city in the world. But listen to what God says to Jonah. It's extremely emotional. God is basically saying to Jonah, Jonah, when I look at Nineveh, here's what I see. I see scores of people, masses of people who don't know which way to turn spiritually. Jonah, these are people you know, you didn't cause that plant to grow. You didn't make that plant. These are people, I knit them together in their mother's womb. I shaped their faces. I gave them the spark of their personality. Jonah, you care so much for this dumb plant that I gave you for one day. I created these people in my own image. I have known them all their lives and they are spiritually lost. They're spiritually confused. And my heart goes out to them, Jonah. He says, yes, they're sinners. Of course they're sinners, Jonah, but guess what? So are you. So are you, Jonah, and I had mercy and compassion on you. I showed you love. I showed you grace. Why should I not also show it to them too? And Jonah would say, because they don't deserve it. 
They don't deserve it. They're bad people. And you say, of course they don't deserve it. That's the whole point of grace. That's the whole point of mercy. No one deserves it. By definition, nobody deserves grace. Nobody deserves mercy. God's love, his favor, his blessings, forgiveness, salvation, these are undeserved gifts from an unobligated giver. He gives them simply for this reason, because he loves you and because you can't save yourself. See, this is how God sees the world. In the creation story in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it tells us how God created all the different things in the world. And ever, after everything he created, he looked at it and said, it is good. But then when he created human beings, he said something different. It says that he created them and he said, he created them in his own image. And he looked at them and said, it is very good. In other words, human beings are God's most beautiful and most treasured creation. You know, no matter how much of a nature lover you are, I'm a nature lover, right? But if you see a boulder rolling down a hill, uh, down a mountain, and there's a person standing there and a tree, nobody says, oh my gosh, how are we going to save that tree, right? And God loves people. And when God looks at a big city full, you know, big, dirty city full of sinful people, you know what God sees? He sees treasure. He sees beauty. You know what makes a city beautiful? In a city, there are more of what God considers most precious and most beautiful per square mile than anywhere in the country. You know, it's been said that um, in the country, there are more plants than people. In the city, there are more people than plants. And since God cares more about people than about plants, God loves the city more than the country. Every city block, every bus that drives by full of people, it's crammed full of people who bear the image of God, of God's most beautiful and most treasured creation. And what we see here is this, that God's burning passion and desire is to redeem those people, to redeem them, to bring them back to himself and into relationship with him, to save them and restore them and make us into what he always intended us to be, apart from sin and the curse and all these bad things that have come into the world. It was for that reason that Jesus came. And here's the point of the entire book. Lost people matter to God, and therefore they should matter to me and you. Jonah felt pity on this plant, not because he loved the plant, because he was a big plant lover. It was because of what the plant did for him. That was his reason for loving the plant. And I think Jonah, in that way, he's a picture of many of us, consumed with and concerned about ourselves and our lives and our comfort. But God is calling us here to step out of that to step out of that self-centered, self-focused life and see the world the way that he sees it and to see people the way that he sees them. He's inviting you to join him on his mission. Jesus said this. He said, this is the reason why I came into the world, to seek and to save the lost. That's the big picture. For many of us, myself included, our tendency is to be like Jonah, consumed with myself, consumed with my own little world, freaking out about all kinds of little things and losing sight of the big picture. And as we read this book, here's what God is doing. He's doing for us what he did for Jonah. He's pulling us aside and saying, let's have a chat. Let me, let me bring you back to reality. Let me bring you back to the big picture. And we look at this and we say, wow, you know, you, God would say to us, you think Jonah's super bad, don't you? You think he's just, wow, Jonah's the worst. Do you realize that the reason I put this story in here is so that you could look at yourself in the mirror? Because you are Jonah, I am Jonah. Jonah's tendencies are our tendencies to run away from God, to think that God only cares about our outward actions and not about our hearts, to be gracious towards ourselves and judgmental towards others, to be self-focused. And so what's the answer? 
What are we supposed to do with all this? We read the book of Jonah. We say, okay, I am Jonah. You are Jonah. And what are we supposed to do? Just feel super bad about ourselves and have a nice Sunday? Or, or just maybe, maybe the message is just you need to get out there and try harder. You're not trying hard enough. Well, listen, the answer is neither of those. The answer is something so much better than that. In order to see the answer, you have to see our third point, which is the rest of the story. This book ends without telling us how Jonah responded to what God told him. But here's the thing. We actually do know how Jonah responded. And the reason we know how Jonah responded is because we have this book, right? Who wrote this book? Who, who was there to tell us about Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish? Who was there to tell us about Jonah's ridiculous, I hate the love of God speech here in the chapter four? Of course it was Jonah, the only reason we know about Jonah's conversation with God, the only reason we know that Jonah was, was such a moron and that he was so racist and that he was so self-centered and he didn't get the heart of God and he didn't care about the mission of God, the only reason we know that is because Jonah told us himself. He says, God took me on this incredible journey and through this, I came to understand God's heart and God's mission. And now he's writing this book to tell us that story, the story of how God lovingly pursued him and patiently taught him and as how his heart changed as a result. But that's not even the end of the story. You see, many years after this, there was another man named Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus of Nazareth talked about Jonah and he said, speaking about himself, in, in Matthew chapter 12, he said, now someone greater than Jonah has come. Speaking about himself. In other words, the story that we've been reading ultimately finds its fulfillment and its conclusion in Jesus Christ. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so Jesus would die and be buried in the heart of the earth three days and three nights and then rise again. Just as Jonah was called to leave his home and go to a violent and hostile land, so Jesus was called to leave his home and come to this earth. Just as Jonah was sacrificed in order to save the lives of the sailors, Jesus was sacrificed to save you and I. But unlike Jonah who went to Nineveh reluctantly, Jesus came to us willingly. Unlike Jonah, who had a heart of hatred and anger, Jesus' heart was one of love and compassion. Jonah refused to dwell with the Ninevites, but Jesus came and dwelt among us. Unlike Jonah, who hoped to see his enemies punished, Jesus came and was punished on our behalf, on behalf of his own enemies. Jonah sought out a high place from which to look down on Nineveh and watch them be condemned. But Jesus left his high place and came down to us in order that we ourselves might not be condemned. He was condemned on our behalf so that you might be saved and redeemed. And today, because of Jesus and what he did for you, God is standing and inviting you to receive salvation and redemption rather than destruction and condemnation. And let me tell you this, when you understand that, when you understand the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus did so that you could be saved, when you understand that God loved you and pursued you, not because you deserved it, but because he loves you in spite of everything you've done to not deserve it, when you see that, when you embrace it, when you allow it to take hold of your heart, that's when you begin to say, how could I continue running from a God like that? How could I ever run from a God like that? If he loves me this much, that he didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for me, how could I ever doubt his love for me? How could I ever be angry at him? How could I ever accuse him of doing me wrong or not having my best interest in mind? Instead, I want to take this life that he's given me 
And I wanna give it back to him for his mission, for his purposes, so that other people can know the love and the grace and the hope and the joy that I have come to know in him. My prayer for you as we conclude this book and this morning is that you would truly understand the height and the breadth and the depth and the width of the gospel, what God has done for you in Christ, and that as a result, you would share his heart for the world and that that would move you to be actively engaged in his mission. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your heart for us. Thank you for your heart for the world. Lord, thank you for your undeserved love. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, as we look at Jonah, help us not to see, wow, Jonah was a big mistake. He's a big failure. Help us to see the work of redemption you did in Jonah's life, the work that you did to change his heart and change his mind. And Lord, may you do that kind of work in our lives today. May we be receptive to it. Lord, we ask that truly you would help us to change our thinking and Lord, you would change our hearts in the areas where that needs to happen. We pray that in Jesus' name. You've been listening to Be Set Free, the radio outreach of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We have three in-person services on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. And our 9.30 and 11 services are live streamed on our website for those who would like to worship with us online. We are located just east of County Line Road and Highway 119 at 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont. For more information or to hear other messages from Pastor Nick, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. Be Set Free is a listener-supported program. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support this ministry, you can send a donation via check to 2950 Colorful Avenue, Longmont, Colorado, 80504, or donate online at besetfreeradio.com. Thank you.